Omai. Good morning. This is Judith Lay welcoming you to Manx Radio and to the podcast of this week's edition of At Your Service. Manx Radio. Muramai, Nolik Genel. I'm Judith Lay welcoming you to a special Christmas morning edition of At Your Service, celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ in words and music. And a special programme calls for special guests. And I've lots of them ready for you to meet. But first, they're going to sing for you. of St John the Baptist Anglican Church in Broughton in Lancashire and there'll be more Christmas music from them throughout the programme. Here on the island they're affectionately known as the Broughton Boys Choir and their annual visit to us for their week-long choir music course is a firm fixture on the Manx calendar. Hardly surprising, really, as the choir have been coming here for a long time. In fact, next year will be the 50th anniversary of their first visit. There's also a big change taking place, so I thought there were two good reasons to take our Christmas morning programme to the Church of St John the Baptist, to the home of the Broughton Boys Choir, so we can meet the choristers, the clergy who minister at St John's, and the very gifted people who teach, accompany and organise the choir. So let's start at the very top with the choir's musical director, who's accompanied the choir on every single one of their Isle of Man courses. This is 
John Catterall. John, how long have you been associated with the choir here at, at St John the Baptist? Well, it was the mid-1960s I came to my new church, yes. I'd been a choirmaster at uh, a local church in Preston for three or four years, and this was a move. And the rest, as they say, is history. You, you have built up a wonderful choir of boys and men here, and, of course, the Isle of Man week is legendary. Just remind us what brought you to the Isle of Man in the first place. In this area, there used to be a big course at Russell School, which was for boys, and they used to get about 160 boys from the area at this RSCM course. But because it was such a popular course, you could only send three boys. So we decided, with our large number of boys, that we wanted to provide our own course for them, a course that they could all take part in. So why the Isle of Man? We were invited in the first place by an advert which went into the Church Music magazine, an advert by Laurie Davis, who was organist at um, St Thomas's Church in that time, saying, bring your choir to the Isle of Man. So this seemed an idea, the idea formed in my mind, to bring the choir to the Isle of Man for a holiday and to work as the boys did on their course at Russell School. It does seem to be the perfect partnership because in the morning they study and then in the afternoon there's all the, the fun and they enjoy everything the island has to offer and then we enjoy their music because every night they sing even song in a different church around the island. Do you see a big difference in their singing at the end of the week? Oh yes, when they come back here they're inspired. Having worked together of course for five, six days uh, they can't fail to be different and usually better. I think it was one of the boys who said in an interview not too long ago that uh, when we come back from the Isle of Man people say how we've improved. I always say we're not just a musical machine here and so the youngsters get the opportunity to involve themselves in working together as a team and eventually becoming team leaders themselves learning how to help younger boys as they learn their skills as choristers. Let's look at uh, Christmas now. It's difficult musically, isn't it? Because there are things that everybody loves to hear at Christmas time. It's very traditional. And at the same time, you want to keep the repertoire fresh. So how do you look at your Christmas music? Well, it is nice to find something new all the time. Of course, one always listens to uh, what Kings did the previous year and find little gems from that. And so we have uh, two or three new pieces each year. In this area, we're very fortunate that one of the recent composers who's come to the fore with Christmas music, Malcolm Archer, uh, was educated in this area. In fact, we've got a, a carol this year called the Carol of the Stable, which was singing by uh, Malcolm Archer. Is Christmas for you personally a particularly special time? Oh, yes, I always enjoyed uh, Christmas. But there's so much fun. But the boys get, and the gentlemen too, get so much fun from the carol singing, from the concerts, from the more formal services. There's a wide variety of uh, interesting musical events that we can take part in. So the choir does engage with the community, it's not just a church thing at all, is it? Oh yes, there's a residential home that we go to every year and have done for many years now there's a social club at the, in the village, uh, which is the only social centre as it were in Broughton and we sing there at the end of their Christmas party but Covid lost us a few of these little venues, which is a great shame but they're coming back bit by bit
The music you'll hear on the programme is taken from a selection of professional choir recordings made over the last few years. On some, the organist is Ian Seddon, who made many visits to the island with the choir. And on other recordings, Harry Spencer is the organist, and I'll be talking to Harry a little later in the programme. But on all the recordings, the musical director is John Catterall, and there'll also be more from John later. As you'll hear, there are singers and supporters who have been involved in the life of the choir for many years. John Turner even remembers the arrival of new choirmaster John Catterall. George Smithies was the head teacher at Broughton Primary School, which I went to, and he, was, he, he sang with the choir, and he recruited a lot of boys. And so when I came, there was a chap called Jerry Dawson, who was the choir master. He only stayed for about three months, and then we had Brian Cryer, who came. He was at Preston Grammar School. He stayed 12 months, and then along came John. Those early days, what kind of repertoire were you doing then? Very... Little, actually. We, we'd perhaps only do an anthem once a month. So it was hymns and psalms. And really, John, over the years, built up a fantastic repertoire of music. He was always so enthusiastic, always very, very positive. And I'm sure that that's why the boys remained and more came. Because probably we had about 16 boys at the start when John came. Not all perhaps as regular, but um, he eventually built that up and at its peak there were probably 36 boys in the choir. I know when my voice went, I went, I moved straight into the men and stayed there till I was 18 and then I went over to Leeds and was away for probably about six years and then came back to the area and rejoined. So the continuity, but there's so much happens in this choir so many social things as well as just the singing, you know, which has built up over the years, you know, and unfortunately COVID did do a lot of damage, but um, he's started to build it again. And, and for a chap who's his age, you know, to still have that enthusiasm and to have got the boys going, because we were down to about eight boys. And so we're probably back up to, what, 16 to 20 now. John's commitment and his enthusiasm, as well as his musical ability, is very important. But then it's when the boys join that they then enjoy the experience. And that's, that's a collective thing for the choir to do, isn't it? Yes, yeah. There is so much that goes on. It's not just the singing side of things. He's, he's taking people to Landudno, you know, the probationers' trips, young men's trips... I've been on theatre trips and, and quite possibly I was one of the reasons the Alaman course started. I went to Rossell, which was uh, the RSCM music school at Easter. And I went when I was about 10 and was dreadfully homesick. I hated it. And I was stupid enough to go again the following year. And because of that, John decided that uh, it perhaps would be a better idea for him to run his own course, you know, with the boys. And that, I think had a lot to do with, with the Isle of Man beginning. And as well as benefiting the choir, it benefits the island because it brings us more music. I learnt from the people, you know, as, uh, as I was in the choir from, from John, but also from the other choir members. Really, a chap called Ted Cavanna took me under his wing um, when I went into the tenor section and I learnt all of it from him. And, um, and again, John sort of has that, ability to to get people to to blend together you know and to work together and to become a team 
and it, it's fantastic. Christmas music, have you got any particular favourites? Well, it's going to have to be some of the rutter ones because we, um, we get bombarded with rutter usually at Christmas. But no, I just enjoy Christmas. Brothers Max and James Cross are from a family that's been closely involved with the choir through several generations of supporters and singers. And these two young men have a total of 27 years of dedicated service between them. James 11 years and Max 16 years. So what is it that keeps a young person in the choir for such a length of time? The choir's given me so much and I think now it's about paying back all the stuff that is given to me. So having the confidence to go out into work or into any job or school, I think the choir's helped me develop my character a lot more than it would have done if I hadn't joined. Max, what would you say? I reiterate what James said along the lines of paying back the choir, but also a love of singing. The opportunities it's given us to sing at so many amazing places, Peel Cathedral, St Thomas's, St Matthew's, all through the Isle of Man, and then... We've had opportunities here in England as well, Westminster Abbey, St Paul's. Some of us have got the opportunity to sing at Lambeth Palace. So, yeah, just the amazing opportunities it's given us and continues to give us and sort of helping those youngsters thrive with the same opportunities that we had as well as they come through the ranks. Hopefully we've set good role models, but our ultimate role model is Mr Catchell, really. He's the one that shaped us and then he sort of helped with our dad and then down towards and hopefully we're following hopefully we're following in their footsteps in some way i'm absolutely sure that you are let's talk about christmas and christmas music it's a busy old time isn't it it very much is it's a tough period for especially when you're a boy and your voice gets worn out through all the singing that you have to do but i think it's brilliant for the experience and it gives a more well-rounded view of christmas as you get the both the church side and the fun side combined. I think it's really what Christmas is about in Broughton. Talking to Max and James gave me the chance to ask about the system by which choristers progress through the various ranks of the choir. You start with a probationer and you do something called a test card, which has around 30 to 40 tests, vocal tests, sight reading tests, musical ability tests, light blue ribbon, and then you do the same again with a dark blue test card, you get your dark blue ribbon and then you work towards your red ribbon which means you're a full seasoned chorister. It's definitely nice to have an award to go to go with all your hard work and your endeavours, particularly when you get your first ribbon and you get once you get your first ribbon, your delight blue one, you get your surplus as well, which is always a big moment where you get sworn into the choir properly and you're no longer on probation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a re- really nice moment and it's nice to mark people's achievements, especially once they've moved past the, the ribbons and the cards and they go to, towards awards and things, especially the one that you get for service to the choir at your Archdeacon's Chorister. That's a real achievement for people to get through. Absolutely. It's not something everyone does. It helps you stand out in many ways. And I think being part of a choir, I can't imagine my life without it, really. It's been so influential to me and it's been a really good experience. Thank you, Max and James Cross. Let's meet some of the choristers now, beginning with the senior boys. Ewan. James Ridings. Tobias Calvi. I'm Michael Colick Fowles. Max Orkeski. Just remind me of your particular role in the choir. Well, I'm deputy head chorister. And you are? I'm head chorister. So we've got the top management here. What are your duties? Keeping all the boys in line, getting them into the line before the service, making sure they've done the jobs properly in church, which is laying out all the music and sorting out the hymn numbers. We, we store our medals in the safe because they're silver, so we've got to get those out and refill the candles. 
between the head coasters, we kind of divide it between before service duties and after service duties. So like filling the candles, getting the medals, that's what I do. And then making sure the duty's been done properly, which is a team leader's job. Team leaders obviously have teams. Um, and on a weekly rotation, a different team will be, well, it's, we only have three teams right now, but a probation of teams in training. So they tend to be picked um, not as often. And this team will go up though. Um, we have our music for the day. They put it onto the hymn boards and up, and then they have the same thing with the song, any music that's needed. So we just check that's done properly. And we also, because the men carry candles with the crucifix, we have to make sure they've got that, make sure they're doing that. It's good that everybody has particular duties to do because you're working as a team. Here's a group of probationers and juniors. Ezekiel. Harry. Elijah. Adam. Rory. Jack. Are you all good singers? Yes. Have you been in the choir a long, long time? Yes. How long? Uh, ten months. And how about you? How long have you been in the choir? A year. Three months. Are you enjoying it? Yes. How long have you been in? A year around one week. And what about you? Around two weeks. Each of you tell me one thing that you like best about being a chorister. Singing um, hymns and all the anthems as well because they sound very joyful. Making new friends. Getting chorister after month. Singing new anthems and songs. Making new friends. The middle group of choristers are aged around about 9 to 11. They're more experienced singers and some of them have been on the Isle of Man holiday course. We'll also hear two of them bringing our Bible readings very shortly. Here are Henry Burgess, Toby Ween, Angus Walsh and Samuel Stockdale. Before we got down to discussing the serious business of being a chorister, I asked the boys what was their favourite part of Christmas. My favourite bit about Christmas is probably all the presents you get. I love surprises. What's the best Christmas surprise that you've had, Samuel? Probably a few years back when I got a drone. Are you good at buying presents for other people, Samuel? Uh, well, yes, probably. Hi, I'm Henry Burgess, and at Christmas, I like to decorate the house, put up the Christmas tree, invite people round. People might come round for Christmas morning to share the festival, and it's really special time, so I really enjoy it, yeah. So your house is quite sociable place at Christmas yeah. time, is it? Yeah, and we do, like, all the fun games that you can do at Christmas. Tell me about special Christmas presents. Is there anything that you were hoping for, especially this year? This season's Arsenal top. Toby, tell me about your Christmas. Do you get very excited about Christmas, Toby? Yeah, I usually do. Every single year, I usually ask for one thing instead of asking for multiple presents. So, for example, last year I asked for um, a old Nerf Terror Scout. It's like a remote control Nerf tank. And this year I've asked for a Nintendo Switch. If you get lots of little things, sometimes you find it difficult to store them. And um, I really like being tidy. So if I get things that are very special, but um, less of them, then I find it easier to tidy up my room. What about Christmas dinner? Do you like your Christmas dinner? Yeah, I love the Christmas dinner, but my favourite dinner is actually the night before. We have a dinner which usually involves a couple of like nice different cuisines and my favourite is definitely the smoked salmon. 
and I always get that first as well as the bread and um, usually we have that dinner a little bit earlier so we can get to bed quicker so that um, next morning we can wake up and um, I remember when I was younger I'd got a spy laser set so it was a bit like a trip wire alarm and so I decided it'd be a a great idea to try and set it up (laughs) so I could wake up and find Santa but even if it went off I didn't hear it or maybe he just predicted that I'd do that for the second year (laughs) after me making a trip wire using normal string with a bell attached to the end. Trying to trip up Santa. He's up to all of these things, isn't he? Yeah. Because <laughs> you haven't found him, have you? Not yet. Angus Walsh. Angus, tell me about your Christmas. Well, it often comes around, like, very quick. So what about special presents? Looking back over Christmases, what special presents that really stand out? When I think I was about five-ish, there's one time I got this thing called um, a Diddy car. And what it is, it's a big plastic car... I don't know how it works, but when you, like, move the wheel back and forth, it goes forward. I have no clue how this works. <laughs> My cousin had one, and then I wanted one, so I got it. So did you both go for races on them, then, when you both had them? Uh, we do have races around the house. <laughs> and a special meal? Will you have a special Christmas dinner today? I don't know. Most of the time we just get pizza. I don't remember last time we had, like, a proper Christmas dinner. Most of the time we just have, like, random stuff that we like. What about watching television programmes? Do you enjoy getting together as a family and watching television at Christmas time? Occasionally, when my brothers aren't asleep, because they're teenagers. Because, like, different shows of, like, Christmas specials and stuff, we just normally watch them, a few of them. As choristers, Christmas is a busy time for you, isn't it? There's lots of extra services. Now, that's a busy time for you, but it's so important for people, isn't it? Because music at Christmas time, I think there's lots of people who really only go to church at Christmas time, and to hear beautiful music makes it so special. I think I feel pretty aware of this. Nearly everyone loves Christmas carols. Do you see more people in church at, at Christmas time? Yeah, I do. And at Remembrance Service, yeah, there was like over 300 people in church. And then at Christmas, it's like, it's really good because we bring people to church. And then once the people hear what music we can make, they start coming to church more often. When you look out there and you see lots and lots of people in church, does it really make you want to absolutely sing your heart out for them yes now that i've done a few solos and i've got a bit of practice because i remember when i was a probationer which is the lowest rank in the choir it's really overwhelming when lots of people come and you feel like all their eyes are on you and if you make one mistake they're going to spot it but i've done a few solos now and i've found that it actually is really great so nowadays um every time i see a lot of people i really want to sing you're robed up and you're out there with the choristers and there's a church full of people. What's your favourite Christmas carol? Maybe Silent Night.
Jamie Ranson followed his two brothers into the choir at the age of just seven, and now, as a law graduate and maths teacher, he continues to play a big part in the life of the choir. My two older brothers were in the choir already. So there's Nick, who's two years older than I was, and uh, John, who's four years older than me. Uh, so they had already joined, and we, we were all at Broughton Primary, which is just next door to the church. So they were recruited, and then I just followed suit after them. And we all went through the process with the boys. Uh, we were all head chorister for our time as well, um, and all went into the men's section. Uh, they've since moved away, but I'm still around here singing. Your particular responsibility within the choir now is to help the boys to be good readers because the boys don't just sing, they will also, where it's appropriate, read the lessons. Yes, in the Alderman, I've, I've taken on the role of the uh, the reading coordinator, if you like. And we think it's, it's very important that the boys are involved, not just in leading the music of, of a service, but helping in, in other aspects of the service as well. And they really enjoy the challenge um, and I think the opportunity to stand by themselves and deliver something to the congregation. It's such a, a special thing to do, I think. And I, I think back to the, uh, the previous people who were doing the, this role in the Art of Man. So when I was a boy, for example, Mr Taylor used to do the readings and then Paul Cross after him. So it does feel like a, an important responsibility to take. Boys are sometimes just very keen to get into it and get started. But I'll always start them off by just getting them to read it to themselves and then we'll talk about the reading and what it's about and what it means. It's such a, an honour, I think, to, to say those words that have such meaning within the Christian story, but also such meaning to people in their daily lives. And I always try and hope that the, the boys will take care with the words that they say because they can have such a, an impact. Let's talk about Christmas. I love Christmas, yes. It's the atmosphere, it's the, the joy. It's incredibly busy. It's a joyous, joyous period. I can't imagine it without all of that craziness of going out to all these different places like pubs and, and hotels and all these sorts of things and singing and, and being involved in everyone else's celebrations as well as you're there to, to, to provide some carols and some entertainment. It's a wonderful period. And so we come to the story that's at the heart of our celebration today, told in passages from the Bible and read by choristers Toby Ween and Henry Burgess and by Jamie Ranson himself and John Catterall. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favoured, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast about in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob for ever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy being who shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, 
thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, who was great with child. And so it was 
that while they were there, the days were accomplished, that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, when the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. 
And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, until it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned by God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way.
Harry Spencer is a music graduate of Durham University and is the organist on some of the choir recordings you're listening to today. But it wasn't as an organist that Harry joined the choir, but as a seven-year-old chorister. Yeah, I started singing as a treble in the choir when I was seven. I was recruited in the usual way by Mr Cattrall. He came into my school and then my choral career took off from there, really. And then I started learning the organ and then I've been hooked ever since and, and been doing it ever since really. Hooked is a very good word because music does get into your blood doesn't it? it does. Now you've got a very interesting job you're attached to Stonyhurst College. Yeah that's right so I, I go around to schools around Preston area teaching music basically and doing that through singing so we go to to primary schools and a few secondary schools delivering a singing program the aim is to try and get as many children as singing as, as we can and it's going really well it's uh, all the children we're working with seem to enjoy it and I'm certainly really enjoying it as well. What kind of repertoire do you use when you're teaching them? Well, it's all sorts, really. I mean, most of the schools are church schools, Church of England schools, so we, we have some sacred repertoire, but there's a lot of fun songs, quite silly repertoire. I was singing about bananas and rubber chickens the other week and uh, all sorts of things. But I guess if you get something that's a bit a bit crazy, a bit off the wall, you've got the children engaged straight away. What about instrument teaching? I teach the piano to some of the boys in the choir here, and we also have our, our girls' choir who sing at St Peter's, and I... I teach voice to them creates quite a busy timetable really because I do that after I finish work so it's quite hectic (laughs) it is a boys choir here at St John the Baptist and a separate girls choir do you think it's important for the voices to be kept separate I do, yeah. I think it's really good, firstly, to have the same opportunities that we've got now for the boys and the girls, but keeping them separate allows each group to develop the teamwork skills and leadership skills, which are really important in these church choirs. And they seem to respond well, working as separate groups, working together. And I think back to my days as a chorister, I have to say I was quite a a shy boy, but being part of the choir really developed my confidence and, and as I've said, teamwork skills. And it's things like public speaking skills and things like that which are really important and and making friends. I mean, most of my friends that I'm in touch with now are from the choir and valuable life skills as well and being able to conduct yourself in in a really dignified way, appropriate way, being able to sit through a, a service that's sometimes quite long is a really good skill for the youngsters to have and really important, really worthwhile. I mean... For me, as I said, when I started learning the organ, I was just hooked. I found really my kind of niche in a way. It's something I've just loved doing and can sit for hours just playing and, and practicing the organ. And same for the other the, the boys, the choristers, the people who sing in the choir. I think if you are quite shy, uh, got not very confident, it's great to, to be able to just to help bring that out a bit more and work wonders for me and for, for so many other people. Let's talk Christmas. But do you think, in spite of all the hard work, can you keep the magic of Christmas alive? Yeah, it's interesting because the amount of times we sing Heart the Herald and all the traditional carols, probably it's more or less every day in December. It never seems to get tiring, boring. It's The magic's always there in whatever service you do, whatever setting you're in. I, I love Christmas. It's my favourite time of year by far. My favourite service of the year is the Nine Lessons and Carol service, and that's always full. It's a standing room usually, and to see and to hear everyone singing to those great carols, Heart the Herald, and it's an amazing experience, and to be part of it and to lead the singing in that by the organ and the choir singing, it's wonderful.
Sam Wormsley is probably one of the busiest people currently in the Broughton Choir family. He's at Boarding House Master at Kirkham Grammar School, and alongside this, he's training for ordination as a priest in the Church of England. And he's also the administrator for the choir, the one who does all the organising. And as I soon discovered, Sam is yet another person with an almost lifelong association with the choir. I joined the choir when Mr Cattle visited our class at Broughton Primary School just next door. He came in for the afternoon and he took all of the Year 3 boys into the old hall and made us sing a few notes. We sang the hymn I danced in the morning, remember that vividly, and told us all about life as a chorister and sent a letter home to my parents saying... I would like Sam to join. My parents thought that was hilariously funny. And it was the one thing they said they would let me have a go at. And so I did. I came for an audition. Mr Cattrall gave me a place. He then broke his leg. So my arrival was delayed. I remember that bit. And then here I am, 20-something years later, uh, still involved. I'm so glad you've mentioned Lord of the Dance because some of the youngsters were telling me that Lord of the Dance is the probationer's hymn. Is it, and it's still the probationer's hymn? Absolutely. If you can sing that hymn, you're here for life. It's as simple as that. I've always enjoyed admin and paperwork. Um, I did do an admin role following my further education. I was a head PA in a school, but I knew I always wanted to be a teacher. So I went to university, studied theology, and uh, I'm now teaching RE. But whilst I was at university, I was discerning vocation to, to ordination, to priesthood in the Church of England, and I was selected for ordination. So I'm following a dual path at the moment where I'm teaching in the day and training for ordination at night. Uh, I'm also living in the boarding house in our school as well. So it's quite a busy life, but it's a good mixture of everything I really enjoy. It's an interesting place to be, actually, to be a Christian representation in a secular place. The pupils know that I'm training for ordination. I don't, I don't hide that at all. But, you know, I think it's a really good mixture and they both influence each other. You know, my experience in the classroom can impact what I do in the church and what I do in the church and what I do in the classroom. So I'm loving straddling both paths and I'm looking forward to learning more. You know, I'm on the beginning of this journey and it's great fun so far. I'm tired, but uh, there's lots, lots to be going at, which is great. I truly believe in being calm and positive and bright and joyful because, you know, if you smile at a young person, they'll smile back. If you frown young person, they'll frown back. It's as simple as that. Uh, and we're all in it together. So, yeah, there is an awful lot to peddling and deal with paperwork, logistics, thinking, what we're going to do with this, what we're going to do about that. But actually, we're here for the young people and we're here for those members of our choir, the school, whatever situation we're in. And let's make it the best we can for them. Let's not let them worry about that paperwork bit. Let's make sure they know we're here for them and we can enjoy this whole experience, have a wonderful time. And every Isle of Man trip has been that, I'm pleased to say. We've mentioned a few times on today's programme the many years of dedicated service that John Catterall has given to the choir as musical director. But in early January, as John now explains, that is set to change. It is indeed, yes. My last service is at the beginning of January at Broughton. Time to hand over to young men who are very talented. I know, I'm very confident, will take the choir forward splendidly. I'm sure that they will. And it's a great tribute to you that those who will be moving the choir on were your boy choristers. So that shows a lot of loyalty and a lot of love, doesn't it? Yes, we've been very fortunate over the years that we've had several boys who've gone on to be young musicians 
Unfortunately, many of them have left the district and are conducting choirs in London and Leeds and all over the place. But here we've got two young men who are very talented and will do very well. Something else that I hope you're going to allow us to celebrate, 50 years of visits to the Isle of Man. And, and I think your 50th anniversary on the island has got to be a very special choir holiday, hasn't it? Oh, I, I hope we can do something really grand for the boys then. We look forward to singing in some of our favourite venues. And when I say favourite venues... There are so many that we so much enjoy singing in. You're very well received everywhere you go. So I guess the criteria is going to be who does the best refreshments, hmm? In the eyes of the boys, I'm certain that's the case, yes. <laughs> I, I really do think some of the boys have got hollow legs. I just cannot understand how they can devour so much food every day and still sing. It's a mystery of youth, John. Thank you for all the music and I wish you a very happy Christmas. Thank you very much indeed. So, the end of one era for the Broughton Boys Choir and the start of a new one. And the man who will be moving from the organ bench to stand in front of the choir is the present organist and associate choirmaster Harry Spencer. I wondered how Harry is feeling about his new role as musical director. Well I'm quite nervous actually. Um, it's quite a different experience from playing and then standing in front of the choir and especially when it's people you know as well it adds a sort of a different dimension to everything but I'm looking forward to it greatly. The choir can now go on in the hands of somebody who has had such a long association because you understand the ethos of the choir, the atmosphere of it, the dynamic which is very special and very different here isn't it? It is, yeah. It's, it's not like any other choir or organisation here. It's got that unique ethos, as you say, and it is a very special organisation and been involved with the choir since I've been seven, so it runs through my blood in a way. can't really say I've got a particular plan for what happens next year, but I think try and build on, on what we've been doing over the past few years, especially since COVID, trying to rebuild the choir and trying to reach out to new families, new boys, and keep that work going. Do you think that another young person who's willing to take over is a good role model to encourage youngsters to join? I think it is, yeah. And as I've said, somebody who's been through the choir and without it, I wouldn't be able to, to do this role, obviously, and, and be able to do the, the job I'm doing now for work. And it's had such an impact on me. There's just one thing that, that you can't change. You can't change the Isle of Man holiday. Absolutely not. We'll keep coming to the Isle of Man for many years to come. It's the correct answer. <laughs> There's a general sense of relief that John Catterall will still be around at the church. And I think head chorister Michael Corrick Pollard spoke for many people when he paid this tribute to John's influential leadership over so many years. I'm sure Mr Spencer will be an incredible choirmaster. He's been our organist for so long, so so many of us know him. And I'm sure it'll be a very smooth transition. Mr Catterall's influenced everyone in the choir's lives and he's helped the Broughton Church community so much. For half my life now, he has been one of the leading influencers. It'll be so great to have Mr Catterall still coming to the church, being in the congregation, listening to the music so that we can talk to him after services, still take his advice on certain topics... And I'm sure the choir will love the fact that we can keep Mr Catterall's friendship with us. So, as Harry Spencer takes over John Catterall's role, who will be the choir's organist? It'll be Daniel Harper, who has a long association with the choir, first as a chorister and then as an organ scholar. Yes, I started off, I think, 2013 and went on several Isle of Man trips with the choir. And then after my voice broke during lockdown, I went on to become an organist, organ scholar. 
And since then, I've been playing the organ, accompanying the choir on trips to the Isle of Man. And it's been a pleasure to play at all these events and to the Broughton Chorister and now Broughton Organist. So everyone here I've known for many, many years. Harry Spencer himself was also a chorister in the past and Mr Ransom, Mr Wormsley, they all came through the choir system. And yeah, there's loads of affiliations with like the different primary schools. So that's where I was first introduced by Mr Catchwell and friends. So James Cross in my year in primary school. So there's so many different connections. Tell me about music in your life. So I started quite young learning the piano and the violin, learning in schools and by myself, and then coming into the organ is a new challenge, but obviously something I'm really enjoying. And in school, I like to take part in like choir events, in performances, and it's just a massive part of my life. So let's talk about Christmas music. Have you Christmas favourites? The ones we do every year, like Ding Dong Merrily on High, the arrangement for that is phenomenal and played extremely well by Harry. You've got a four-manual organ here. It looks, to somebody like myself, a huge challenge. Yeah, when I first had a go on it, I was just totally overwhelmed by how much there was to it. But yeah, you slowly develop skills. You start with like one or two keyboards and then build up with the pedal board. So now it's second nature, but every organ's different, obviously. So this organ being an electric one has many different sounds and qualities which are different to all the other organs that I have played on, so like the one in the Priory in Lancaster or in the Town Hall in Lancaster and the one at St George's in Preston. So every single organ is different and this one especially, I really love the sounds on it.
I spent a couple of days in Broughton with the choir, which gave me the opportunity to attend Evensong and meet the parish clergy, Reverend Canon Fleur Green and her curate, Father Nathaniel Gilmore, who was chaplain to this year's Isle of Man choir course. Reverend Nathaniel Gilmore, part of the ministry team here at St John the Baptist Parish Church in Broughton. Tell me a little bit about, you've got a very interesting background. <laughs> not sure about it's that interesting, but um, I was born in the US and came over to the UK when I was about three months old. Grew up in London. Um, when I was growing up, um, I was always encouraged by both my vicars to explore vocation and calling and what God was calling me to. And then um, focused on sort of getting through GCSEs and A-levels and went to university to do maths and physics. And in my final year was sort of decided, well, I'm not really sure what I want to do next. This feels like a good time to properly get down and actually explore, okay, what is God calling me to? And is it ordained ministry or is it something else? Because God does have a calling for all of us. Um, so I applied for a few things and ended up spending a year um, working partly at a youth club in Kilburn and then at a church in the city of London as well called St. Lawrence Jury. Big, big contrast there. Let's talk about when you were doing the youth work, because that was it's quite a challenging area of London that you were working in, wasn't it? It was, yes. It was part of London called Kilburn, and there was not infrequent violence between some of the youths on the street. The youth club was always a fairly safe space for everyone, and we were able to get people in, but every now and then we would have to close early if something kicked off. I remember every year at Guy Fawkes time we'd have to put up posters saying please don't shoot fireworks at each other's faces it's not a good idea. Part of it was as I said just being a safe space and listening to and caring for the people loving them as people and God's children as much as everyone else. And that really is where the church needs to be out in the tough places isn't it? I think so and I think that's exactly what Christ calls all of us to to love each other where we are as the people we are that God made us to be. And then you moved to St. Lawrence Jewry, termed as a, as a guild church, a church that doesn't really have a resident community, as in it's not in an area of housing, where it draws its, its congregation from a much wider area. Now, just explain about life there. How did life work there for you? The guild churches were set up after the Second World War in the city of London. No one really lives in the square mile city itself. So the guild churches, as you said, were set up to minister to the working population. Because no one works in the city on a Sunday, our main service was a Friday lunchtime break service. And we had everything from homeless congregation members sitting next to investment bankers working in the city. Um, so it really was diverse. In St Lawrence Jewry, you would get some very elaborate services, I would guess. We did, yes. So it was also the church for some of the livery companies in the cities, the, sort of, the old guilds. So we had huge numbers of Christmas carol services. I think we did 25 carol services in 18 days. It's a bit sick of Hark the Held Angels sing by the end. And we also had services, we were the on Guildhall Yard, so we had services for the Corporation of London before the election of the Lord Mayor of London and things like that. So we had some quite elaborate services and quite humble ones as well. So after that, what was the next stage for you, Nathaniel? So at the end of that year, I um, felt God was calling me. So I formally entered the what's called the Church of England discernment process, where the church works with you to discern vocation to ordain ministry. And while doing that, I spent two years on what's called the Stepney Intern Scheme. 
um, which is a scheme for people, young people exploring ministry to work in churches in Stepney area in London, which is um, the East End, so Hackney and Tower Hamlets mostly. And while doing that, also audit some theology lectures at St. Melitus College in London as well. The actual process of going before the Bishop's Advisory Panel, it sounds like quite a nerve-wracking process, isn't it? Do you tell us a little bit about that? It was a bit nerve-wracking. They've just redone it, so I went through on the slightly older system. It involved regularly meeting with DDO, um, who sort of guides you through the selection criteria, um, having in three separate interviews with people before you even get to the thing. You need to get together a series of references. It normally takes about a year to two years a bit it it's all very much sort of dependent on the person and how it works for you and then at the bishop's advisory panel itself there's a series of interviews presentations but it needs to be thorough it is discerning a lifelong calling i think it was both searching as to is ordained ministry the calling god has for you and then also are you ready to train for and fulfill that Call, is this the right time for you to go after that calling or is God sort of calling you for ordained ministry but actually that calling is to be fulfilled in a few years time so it sort of gets that balance right between being quite searching and looking for a good combination of both do you have the potential to be ready now or is it a later now you're sending church the church that put you forward mm. for ordination in the London area you might have assumed that that was where you would go back to when you were ordained deacon but then after you were ordained deacon, which is the year before your ordained priest, you came up here to Lancashire. So that was that a bit of a surprise for you? It was, yes. Um, so I was warned from the beginning that there might not be a curacy place for me in London. Um, so that when they released me to look for a curacy elsewhere, that wasn't a big surprise. But I never quite expected I'd end up in Lancashire or the Northwest. The closest I've been to here was going to a holiday in the Lake District a couple of times. But as I was exploring where God was calling me to fulfil my curacy and deacon and priesting years, I heard that Blackburn Diocese was looking to import a few new curates. I had some meetings both with Bishop Philip, who was the Bishop of Burnley at the time, and the Director of Vocations for the Diocese. And it seemed like a great fit, a place where um, God was doing some really wonderful things. Um, so I was then asked to meet with Fleur and we met a few times on Zoom to talk about the parish and her ministry and where I was feeling cold and came up here for a visit. And by the end of the visit, I just felt this was where I was called to be. Now, we've, we've been talking um, very much about the, the, the choristers and the choir at the parish church of mm. St. John the Baptist. But actually, there are three worship centres. This is one of three worship centres. So you've got quite a variety, have you, in, in, the, in the places where you minister? We do, yes. So we've got St. John the Baptist here, which tends to be a bit higher church. Then also got St. Peter's, which is a hall in one of our church schools that we use each Sunday. And we've recently opened some, reopened St. Martin's um, only in September this year, um, which is a wonderful new building that we're doing worship in as well. And St. Martin's is very much a community facility as well, isn't it? It is, yes. So um, we've recently started doing a warm welcome space there on Thursdays, which is had a great number of people come to we do a youth group there each week as we're getting things up and running we're looking at what other things the community needs and we can do in that space so in a way this is kind of london in in a in a different shape and form isn't it it's shaping church to the community as you've done quite a few times already in your training one thing I've learned every placement I've been on so far and everywhere I've been is that church is called to minister to the community it's in and each community is different. So it's getting to know the people and place and simply loving people there. 
But do you think that, that Christmas is a very, very special way to minister to the community in, in, in all the, the, the turbulence of the world? Do you, think, do you feel that? I think it is, yes. I think both um, Advent with that wonderful preparation for Christmas and getting ready and then Christmas itself are times when people still come together and it's a time when the church and God offers light in the darkness and hope in a world that does face a lot of difficulties, but a time when even in the cold months people can come together to find that warmth and love. Father Nathaniel, thank you very much indeed for talking to me and I wish you a very happy Christmas. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Next, we'll meet the vicar of St John the Baptist Church, Reverend Canon Fleur Green. She also plays a part in the wider life of the Diocese of Blackburn by being a canon of Blackburn Cathedral. But what, I wondered, had drawn her to being an ordained minister in the Church of England? first felt called to ordained ministry when I was 16. And it was quite an interesting time because it was before women could actually be ordained priests. So, in a way, I felt quite strongly that God was calling me to do something that actually I couldn't do. But obviously by the time my ordination came about, then women had been ordained priests for about three years by then in the Church of England. Feeling called to something that you couldn't do, you could very well have thought, well, no, I'm I'm not hearing the call correctly. But you held on to that conviction. Everyone discerns calling, and, and calling is much wider than just to ordained ministry, I know that. But I really felt that that's what God was calling me to and alongside it all of course was the different steps in general synod and it being brought about that women could be ordained priests as as well as deacon it was interesting times really to be be living through going to various different services and speaking about it and hearing things and and really feeling that that is what God was calling me to do. In the early days, there was still pockets of resistance. It wasn't instantly universally accepted by everybody. So very brave of you to continue with your training when people were still coming to terms with how they felt about women's ministry. Absolutely. And I mean, even when I was first ordained in our deanery, there were people who didn't speak to my training incumbent because he had a female curate. But I'm pleased to say that over the years, that attitude really has gone. And it's very rare that you find people who don't speak you know they may not agree with you but they they still speak and we still work together and we have the mutual flourishing and the five guiding principles that we all live by now um to be able to all have a place at the table just remind me Fleur of the five guiding principles please so that is the mechanism in the Church of England that means that people such as myself are a full part of the Church of England, but those who don't agree that women should be ordained can also be a full part of the Church of England. It's not easily worked out, and it often comes down to personal relationships with people, but that is the mechanism that we have so that everyone can be a part of the Church of England, whether they agree with it or not. Because it is perfectly possible to be in successful ministry together and respect people's differing views. Absolutely, and I think that one of the great things about the Church of England, I've been involved in vocations work for many years as well, and one of the questions you often ask people is, why the Church of England, why are you a part of the Church of England? And nearly everybody responds because of its breadth. So you can be quite low church, not robed, Or you can be somewhere like this, which is quite high church, robed choir, robed clergy, and really everything in between. And I think that that's that's the beauty of it, that you can still work together cross tradition, cross belief, that it's finding a way of being able to celebrate the love of God. 
There is no doubt about it that as a society, we're living in tricky times. People are finding it harder to survive financially. Do you think in a, in a troubled society and also with the conflicts that we're seeing around the world, do you think at this time that the real story of Christmas speaks to us even more deeply? You know, a child born in poverty, family made to move out from their village. And do you think that speaks more strongly to where we all are in community today? I think you're absolutely right with those things you pull out of the Christmas story. I mean, Jesus was born in a stable. You know, Mary and Joseph had had to travel. They displaced people. After Jesus' birth, they have to go to Egypt as well. I think people can really resonate with that. And I think that in times of difficulty, people look for something that's quite familiar. And I think the Christmas story, even in our increasingly secular world, is still something that is familiar to people and it brings comfort singing Christmas carols together it brings people together I know that the services and the events that we put on in December Christmas itself that there will be a lot who come for that familiarity for how it speaks to them and I think it just brings a bit of comfort a bit of light a bit of hope in amongst all the troubles that people face and that we see on the news today when does Christmas start for the Reverend Canon Fleur Green? When do you just stop and celebrate Christmas for you? I think for me, Christmas really starts at the midnight service. That's always the sort of switch point that it's been a lot of doing, giving, busyness, all of that sort of thing. I always find with the midnight service, it's just that moment where we can go, right, and this is where we just actually capture that real essence of Christmas, that holy night churches in darkness with just a few candles and it's a very special and precious moment moving through to the morning services which are a bit more full on and and all of that and then going to my sister's afterwards uh, for lunch and opening of presents and building lego with my nephew that sort of thing so I think that really it starts for the midnight service.
May the joy of the angels, the eagerness of the shepherds, the perseverance of the wise men, the obedience of Joseph and Mary, and the peace of the Christ child be yours this Christmas. The blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be upon you all, and those you love and those you've prayed for, now and always. Amen. Thank you to my special guests today, clergy, staff, choristers and musicians at the Church of St John the Baptist in Broughton, Lancashire, who made me so very welcome when I visited them to record this Christmas special. And we look forward to welcoming the Broughton Boys Choir in 2024 for their 50th Isle of Man Choir Course. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. And so, till whenever we meet again, this is Judith wishing you the true happiness of Christmas. Mm-hmm.